Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hello and welcome to another edition of Bunker Daily, the promising mini sapling of its weekly peach tree of a parent. I am Alex Andreou and I'm talking to you from my eighth week of lockdown in Mykonos, Greece, where I'm finding it difficult to sleep since my body began to permanently assume the shape of my desk chair. I am delighted to welcome today a botanist, an ethnobotanist, I should say, a broadcaster and author of the wonderful How to Eat Better and the best-selling Grow Your Own Drugs, about which I shall be talking to him after the podcast. He is the greenest thumb in all the land. He's James Wong. Welcome, James. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me. So um, where are you holed up? So I didn't know you were in Mykonos. It's a lot more exotic than my Bayswater. <laughs> I'm in my any one-bedroom flat in, uh, I would say, cold, rainy London, but it's actually not been that cold and rainy this spring, which is yes, the one still be nice at the moment. Um, are you are you on your own or with any significant others? Uh, I'm on my own and 500 houseplants. <laughs> so many significant <laughs> others. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Just the botanical type. How are you coping with lockdown? Do you find uh, uh, a lot of freelancers like us have have found it easier than many of the the people I I talk to who go to work on a daily basis? Uh, How are you finding it? Yeah, it's it's um, it's tricky because it's um, it's probably not something very sensitive to say. But, you know, I work from home every day. And um, I'm not a big extrovert that's always out having to talk to people. So I'm, I guess I'm fortunate in the situation that I'm, I don't experience it in the same way that other people are having it. And, you know, I, I think that this was 10 years ago when I was sharing an apartment with like five other people and, you know, the housemates. And it's in a really difficult, different situation, you know, having to go out to work. Um, but the ability to be able to carry on most of my daily life in kind of a similar way, like most of my work is is writing columns from home. Um, and I work on a show called Gardener's Question Time, uh, where I normally travel around a lot on Radio 4. Um, but we've been able to get mics to everyone. So we're recording it from our kitchen tables. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of lucky in that situation. So there's, there's, you know, there are one or two things that are okay at the moment. Does it, I mean, for you especially, um, I think it's your father that's from Borneo. That's right, isn't it? That's right. So, so does it feel different to look East Asian in a Western country right now? Well, I, it's you know it's a tricky question to answer because I haven't been out anywhere seeing anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Do your well, plants treat you differently, James? Well, that's, that's why I like plants. <laughs> uh, what I can say is that, you know, like the social interaction that I, I do get on things like social media, which isn't necessarily a reflection of 
the wider society. You know, it's a very amplified, uh, overt form of what of what regular conversation is. Okay, I've been asked if I eat snake and to justify why I like eating snake. Um, <laughs> like half a dozen times this week. And, you know, it's usually when I'm sitting down, like, with cheese on toast or something like that. <laughs> um, and, like, there's... It is a, a fascinating... Um, a fascinating situation when you can drop in on people's conversations as you can on Twitter and to see people who would never, I imagine, uh, identify as being discriminatory or, or, you know, would be appalled at the idea that they would be racist. Um, and you see them clearly saying racist things. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think that they have the ability to understand that. So, you know, when I see people talking about wet markets and how terrible they are, and they're wet because of the blood of dogs. Um, a wet market is just a Southeast Asian term, a specifically ex-British colony Southeast Asian term, for a market. Um, so when people talk about wet markets in China, well, wet markets don't exist in China. That's in Singapore. And funnily enough, Singapore and China, not the same country. So, the, so it's, a, it's a term, basically. Borough market would be called the wet market if it were in that region. Yeah, pretty much. And I, and I, I do understand when, you know, I, I get replies saying things like, well, you know, that's, that's not the point. It's the point isn't terminology. Why are you fixated on that? Um, what I would say is if someone was to, uh, protest and ban football arenas because they don't like what happens in bullfighting arenas, you may have to question how much they understand about the subject and the fact that that they take place in different countries and are totally different. So, but, um, but that's, a, that's a, uh, a function of people not being necessarily as, as culturally aware as, as they might be. Um, but that isn't necessarily something that's bad. Like I, I'm very ignorant about lots of cultures. I'm just familiar with the UK and I'm familiar with East Asia because I grew up there. So it's the, the flip side of social media is it's a wonderful opportunity to learn. There's a way of asking about about stuff like that that isn't somehow aggressive or confrontational isn't there isn't there um Absolutely. anyway um let's uh, let's leave uh, social media to one side and go to uh, subjects more tangible okay um, so you once wrote or said actually maybe in an interview that killing oh, no. plants is a gardener's rite of passage um so I relate to that entirely because people who see um, photos of the food I cook idealize what my kitchen might look like when, in fact, it looks like a science experiment gone wrong most of the time. Exactly. Is it a similar story with your garden, or are you one of those awful, tidy people? <laughs> um, well, so the, the only secret to having a green thumb or green fingers, whatever you want to call it, is perseverance and never uploading pictures of your failures to Instagram. <laughs> you just show the good stuff. Um, so people have this, this, I feel like people who are new to gardening are terrified of failure. You know, they, they say, what if I kill a plant? And they don't seem to have this with other areas and other hobbies. So like one of my best mates, um, you know, you see the kind of baking stuff that she puts together and you'd think she needs a degree in civil engineering to be able to do some of the creations that she's able to do. You know, at Christmas, yeah. she had like the full on gingerbread house, like pretty much life size turrets, everything. <laughs> um, 
And she, she panics about the idea of planting seeds. And I said to her, like, have you ever burnt a cake? And she's like, yeah, sure, I've burnt loads. That's how you learn. And I was like, yeah, that's what happens with plants. <laughs> the difference yeah. is the cake doesn't try and claw its way out the oven when it's done. James, mate, some of, the, some of my cooking failures have tried crawling the way out of the <laughs> bin. <laughs> um, well, but, okay, so so in, in very short, if I pushed you like for two or three things, what should we be planting right now? Oh gosh! Well, there's, I there's roughly four hundred thousand plants on Earth. We don't really know. It's constantly being added to, but the estimation is that. And people are always saying, like, "What should we plant?" And it's what you like. You know, what suits your conditions and what you like growing. Um, for me, I think house plants are the most democratic and easy way to engage with growing your own, um, because you don't have to have a garden to get involved with the miracle of life unfolding in front of you. You don't have to worry about things dying because if they're going to die, frankly, they better get on with it. And that's how you learn to experiment in the next situation. Mm. Um, I would uh, I would say if you're going to go for a house plant, which is not everyone has a garden, but most people have homes, um, some of the easiest ones are things like cacti and succulents. As long as you keep them within one meter of the glass of a window, um, the biggest, the only reason why any of those fail is because people put them in too dark situations. So general rule, within one meter of a window. Um, and things like moth orchids, you know, once upon a time, those were ridiculously expensive. You know, when I was a child, you'd have to go to yeah. special auctions and buy them for hundreds of pounds. Now you can buy them for under a fiver um, in, you know, your average supermarket. And they've been bred, so they flower pretty much all year. So something like a moth orchid would be easy, particularly since they like... Um, a lot of the conditions that people like. So they like the same humidity, light levels, and temperature levels that we like. So if your house, if you're comfortable in your house, a moth orchid will be comfortable in your house. Okay, so, um, you know, my instinct would be to just go online and order stuff. Is there any project that sort of deserves our help right now in terms of buying seeds and buying seedlings and bulbs and things like that? Are there any... Um, nurseries that are really struggling because of the lockdown and the crisis that, you know, instead of going to sort of, you know, the big online shop that I shan't name that has everything, <laughs> is, there smaller, is there smaller places that we should be looking for? Yeah, so um, UK horticulture is, like many industries, is facing, you know, a really, really tough time at the moment. And it, it's estimated that, you know, a good quarter of the, the small, really independent, really exciting nurseries that provide us with the weird and wonderful things you can't get anywhere else will be going under in the next few months. So going online is a really great way to directly get in contact with them um, and be able, to get, be able to get planting material. Most of them will sell online. Um, and you know, I've, I've been buying loads of stuff recently and you get great service. Like I've been getting handwritten notes on the inside to say, thanks for the support. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, it's, I know, like you, you don't expect that. Um, oh, but yeah, what I would the, the really cool thing is not only can you go to nurseries direct, some of the big massive online auction sites, um, have tiny nurseries they're supplying. So, that, you know, and that's their only window. So it isn't necessarily just a matter of looking up individual nursery websites. Uh, I've bought loads of that, you know, from two or three different online auction sites, from people who might have a single greenhouse where they're just growing one particular, very unusual type of orchid. 
they might have you know 200 specimens of it but they're selling through those sites so it's, i see I so, so, so even in the sort of big umbrella online retailers you can still look for the smaller businesses that are selling through them yeah and in fact that's uh, the best place to get hold of some of the really rare stuff you know if you've got 200 plants of something you're probably not going to set up the full online shop but you can yeah. sell through one of those sites so um yeah, the, if you want to track down weird and wonderful things that you'd never get in a big box garden center, uh, online in those places is exactly where to look. If you don't have pots or planters, it, do you have a decent hack for a sort of improvised planter? <laughs> so I think we've been talking about this on Twitter. Your grandma has an idea about this, right? <laughs> Which you didn't like. <laughs> no, it's not that I didn't like it. Um, it's just that it, it works. So, like, she was was it like massive olive oil containers? Yeah, yeah. It's really typical in Greece to to basically uh, open the top of big uh, olive oil you know, five litre or 10 litre drums, open them with a can opener and then plant things in them. But I I somehow sense not many many homes in the (laughs) UK will be buying 10 litres worth of olive oil and using it. I can't imagine how long, like how long would that take to go through? What, in Greece? Well, okay. So in general, like your general rule is the bigger the container, the better. So something like a five liter or 10 liter is great. And the reason is um, the smaller the body of, uh, of planting material, the quicker it dries out, the more it's subject to wide temperature fluctuations. Um, like basically everything that's unstable about it becomes more unstable, the smaller the pot size. So the bigger right. the pot size, the better. So that size is, is pretty good. The tricky thing about it is it's being made of metal. I mean, it heats up really quickly. So mm-hmm. I can, if they're in the shade, I, I should probably be fine. But if you had that in the UK, for example, um, it would get very cold very quickly in winter and very hot very quickly. So mm-hmm. um, metal is, is, is okay as a, as a container material, but there are lots of better ones. So things like ceramic, uh, things like wood, um, just prevent that temperature fluctuation. But yeah. um, you can really, like, anything that will hold growing media, that will hold water in some way, uh, will work as a container. Um, the only caveat is the smaller the container, the more you'll need to water it. So go for a bigger one. I, I, I once went down to my local sort of indie coffee shop, and I asked them to save up the sacks of coffee beans for me, and I would basically put two or three one inside the other and you know fold the edges over and plant loads of stuff in them and they were free and when you know it was for for annual things like tomatoes or potatoes and when when it was done i'd just throw it away basically because it would it would have fallen apart um so in terms of mental health you know it's it feels to me like th- there's a huge difference between being in a house with stuff growing and being in a house without stuff growing. I can't, you know, I can't put my finger on it more specifically. I, I know there have been loads of studies on it, but it just feels like being in a house with other living things is good for your 
soul. Um, so, you know, if if someone hasn't done a lot of gardening, um, is there like a really fast, easy thing that grows quickly? You know, it gives you sort of almost instant satisfaction. Yeah, so what I would say is any houseplant is instant. Like, unlike um, unlike outdoor things where you'd be forced to start from seed or from a bare root stock or from cuttings or whatever it might be, like all houseplants are in season all year round, pretty much. So the second it arrives, it's already mm. providing you with, with life and green and colour. Um, but at the same time, your really affordable and simple way to start is by seeds. And people are often ask about instant impact i it depends on um your definition right so if you're waiting to see the flowers of something it might be three months it might be a year it might be five years with some plants from seed but if it's about the process and i think a lot of the benefits in gardening are not the the end result we have we've been conditioned by makeover shows to thinking like ta-da when you know you light the candles throughout the kitchen that's the that's one i prepared earlier yeah, so I think that in, in gardening, a lot of the benefit is not in the end result necessarily, but it is in the process. It's that, you know, the idea of mindfulness. You can buy cake and you can buy like pies or whatever. You can buy, you know, sweaters, but there's something therapeutic in the baking process or in the knitting process. Mm. And with seeds, literally, you put some seeds in a tray and you pour some water on them. And you've had a direct hand in witnessing the miracle of creation, the miracle of nature unfolding in front of you with your very eyes. And most people will be familiar with the idea that you might walk in a forest and feel relaxed being surrounded by green, but then somehow find it difficult to bridge between being in nature that you're not having a hand in and gardening. I think gardening is even better than walking in a forest because instead of experiencing in a very passive way, just watching other things happening, you actually are engaging in a very real way and making those things happen. And you can do that for like, you know, a two pound packet of seeds and seed germination in five days. So I'm very much a seed. I'm very much a seed person. I get a huge thrill when I see like the first little green shoots. Um, What have you been growing? Oh, I grow tomatoes every year. I do loads of weird heirloom varieties every Fantastic. year. Fantastic. Um, I, the thing I'm really terrible at, James, is thinning them out. I <laughs> I feel like a mass murderer. I cannot say this is the weakling of, of the two in this thing, therefore I'm going to throw it away. So I always end up growing far too many plants, um, and, and I can't take care of them, and they're probably all not not stronger for it um what what about sort of going to the other end of the equation you know we've got time on our hands now like we may never have time like this again so what is the slowest fussiest plant with the most fastidious care literally the thing you may never get going unless you do it now uh, so I, um, I'm going to confess that in a world where people are very keen and always asking for tips on, uh, on things that are low maintenance, like there's a big buzz about things that are low maintenance, I'm the exact opposite. I want things that are extremely high maintenance. So I'm a good person to ask that question to because 
If you're suggesting, like if media suggests that gardening should be quick and easy and low maintenance, what you're suggesting is it's actually not much fun. It's pretty awful. You want to get it over and done with, lie back and think of England, and then it's all done, and then you finally get the result, which is actually at the end. You know, like you're treating gardening like it's tidying up or washing Mm. up. Mm. um, To me, the the process is so exciting. I'm constantly wanting things like gardening is my best two hours of the week, not my worst. So I'm making things like um, I've made some living walls and some water fountains of things in in my tiny flats. And uh, one of the things I've done is I've taken a big piece of lava rock. I've put it in a big dish and filled that dish up with water. Dish is about maybe a meter wide. And I've taken mm-hmm. a tiny little aquarium pump. Uh, you can buy them for like a fiver online. It's about the size of a matchbox. And just taken a piece of um, uh, of piping that pipes water from the dish to the big the, to the top of the big boulder. And I super glued loads of plants to that. So I've got mosses. I've got bonsais. And so essentially, <laughs> you've super yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can use super glue. So everyone thinks that like you can't use certain things. Like certainly, I'm always saying you can't use that. Super glue was created to in the Vietnam War to glue battle injuries together. It's biologically inert. You can totally glue plants to things as long as they have moisture. So this this rock has kept permanently wet with the water dripping down. I've got a miniature forest of different strangler figs sending their roots all over it, ferns, mosses. Um, and that means that in my one-meter tray, because I've shrunk everything down to miniature, I can potter on that for like – I was doing it before I started talking to you today – for like a good hour – and I could probably print from print that. The game changes. gluing plants. Are you kidding me? No, I, well, that, that's the thing. If you, you know, I would love to have forty acres, but I don't. So you just have to shrink it all down. And like with a, you know, even like a goldfish bowl sized terrarium, if you really want to get in there with the detail. So I use, I'm weird, right? So I have like tweezers and basic. It's like living railway modeling. Um, yeah. You can spend two hours a day just tending with that. And in that two hours, because you're totally focused on the here and now, you can't look at the headlines and freak out about them. Uh, you can't worry about things you don't have control about. And you have the total control and escape to nature in something that's 30 centimeters, the 30 centimeter bubble. Um, so I find it, you know, there's such good evidence for being in nature and being amongst plants helping. Um, As a data geek, the thing that does frustrate me is we don't actually know how or why. We just know it works. So we don't know, is it it the color green? Is it the sounds? Is it the fact that you're mentally distracted? Is, Is it a combination of all of those things? You know, science is still trying to pinpoint that down. And the, the evidence suggests it's a big mix of all of those things. So being able to do that, you know, without leaving your front door for me has been a total lifeline. And, you know, gardening can be mm. expensive and can, first, you have to own a house to be able to do it. You have to have, you know, uh, if you're planting a lawn and hedges and all this stuff, it can cost a lot of money. But doing it indoors, you can start with, I don't know, uh, a packet of seeds, two quid, uh, get some compost in a, in a seed tray and you're off, you're off and running. Mm. Is this stuff, I know you like cooking as well. Um, is a real stuff, job. Yeah, is this stuff you can grow from kitchen scraps? Yes, yeah. So there's lots of different things. I actually had a book, one of my first books I was given when I was eight years old, uh, because I had early onset geekiness. Um, was all about. It was called the Pip Book. It was from the seventies, um, and it was all about how to grow like 
oranges from from like the seeds that you'd get from the supermarket, avocado, mm. the big 70s kind of thing, the top of a pineapple you can slice off and plant in soil. Um, loads of stuff in your spice rack. If they're not too old, things like um, uh, coriander seed, things like fennel seed, you could plant all of those. Um, whether they'll give you a crop or not, you know, with oranges, you'll be waiting like a good five years to get oranges into fruit. Mm. But as an example, so I live in like central West London, there's at least 10 avocado trees in full fruit in my neighborhood. And the only way that there can be that many avocado trees like that is that in the 70s, people planted them from seeds because you can't buy them here like as a, as a plant. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They got too big for their living rooms and they planted them outside. And avocados are dioecious. You need a male and a female plant to produce fruit. So the fact that not only are there these mm -hmm. big trees, the fact that they're in full fruit suggests there's loads for every one I see. There's loads of others that are hidden behind buildings. So yeah, it's a, a, a way to get amazing plants for free that you couldn't otherwise buy. Like it's impossible to buy an avocado tree in the UK. Okay, so finally, um, what is James doing when he's not gardening or cooking? Um, are there, I don't know, music or books or films or series that are keeping you entertained right now? Oh, you really don't know me very well. I'm not doing anything else. <laughs> <If I'm> not... <laughs> okay, so what are you binging on at the moment? Oh, so I am watching lots of stuff. Uh, like, uh, I have a, um, uh, a terrible addiction to really junk telly. And there's the most amazing show from Canada that I've been watching on Netflix called Kim's Convenience. And it's set entirely in a, a Korean families, a Korean Canadian families, uh, convenience store with like older, very traditional parents. And then like their, their children who are much younger and, in, and, um, are very, very Western and that cultural, like cultural contrast and, and sometimes conflict is just hilarious. It's like my favorite show. Wonderful. Yeah. James, uh, I, with my plants is getting a cameo on that. <laughs> That's brilliant. You can probably write to them. Um, I, can't, I can't remember when I've had uh, uh, 20 more fun minutes at my computer that didn't involve porn, James. Um, <laughs> so thank you on behalf of our listeners and personally. I'll just turn the webcam off now, shall I, Alex? <laughs> um, remember there's a new bunker daily every monday tuesday thursday and friday mornings with a longer weekly episode featuring a full panel every wednesday morning so don't forget to subscribe review and rate us on apple podcasts we'll be back tomorrow i'm off to super glue some plants stay home stay safe and get planting this is alex andreo from the bunker saying over and out The Bunker Daily was presented by Alex Andre, produced by Andrew Harrison. The assistant producer was Jacob Archbold, and audio production was by me, Alex Reese. The Bunker Daily is a Podmasters production. Bunker.